discovered NoFap through the subreddit. I just saw it as a challenge. It didn't seem too difficult, seemed like something I could do. I went 146 days without masturbating or watching porn. It was almost like just like a habit, like brushing your teeth or something. Like it wasn't something super difficult to give up. Episode three of That's a Cult is a bit X-rated. You're going to hear from people talking about masturbation, porn addiction, sex, etc. If you're not okay with that, I don't recommend you listen. If you are okay with that, you're in for a treat. Also, everyone interviewed for this episode is over 18, obviously. NoFap, if you haven't heard of it, is a subreddit and online movement. According to their tagline, NoFap is about helping people quit porn, improve their relationships and reach their sexual health goals. They're also science-based, secular and sex positive, though they do have groups for members who are particularly religious. The subreddit has just under 285,000 mainly male subscribers. Many of them feel like their porn habit has got out of control, they want to cut it out completely, and they're hopeful it'll make them better, more confident people. I contacted the founder of NoFap, uh, both the subreddit and the general movement through Twitter. He directed me to the NoFap press contact email and I didn't get a response, so I have assumed that they either don't want to be involved or they're not interested or they're too busy, and that's fine. So with that in mind, this episode is about the group's members and people related to it. It's not about the founder specifically. During the research for this topic, I suspected that getting someone to talk to a stranger on the record about their masturbation habits would be nearly impossible. Thankfully, I was wrong. I just wanted to see if there were any benefits to just stopping. Definitely from not watching porn. I would say I had more of a clear mind and I was more focused on getting work done and being more social because it kind of forces you to go out and talk to people and meet girls. And So it it definitely gave me more motivation to do stuff like that. More time to study. Um, I was reading more. I was able to pursue other hobbies like rock climbing, After going 150 days, no masturbation, no porn, no orgasm at all, your brain kind of reboots. You just feel, it really is hard to explain, you feel more connected to everything. You feel more confident. You almost feel this attraction like everybody's looking at you. It could be placebo. People on NoFap believe that they're working to be more successful, and so maybe they're trying more. And so they end up getting results that they wouldn't have experienced by just sitting at home and like watching porn and not trying to go out and meet people and socialize. Okay, let's go through some NoFap terminology. They have a glossary, so you can read the full definitions on the NoFap subreddit. Rebooting means taking your brain back to kind of factory settings. It's, it's a bit like a cleanse by not looking at porn or masturbating. Apparently takes a minimum of 90 days. So people on the subreddit will try and go for longer than 90 days. Flatlining is a period where someone feels no libido during abstinence, generally between the two and six week point. The ironically named hard mode means giving up wanking and not having sex with any partners either. Relapse, that's quite obvious. Uh, Death grip is my favourite. It's basically when you're so used to gripping 
your penis as hard as you want when you're wanking, a real vagina never quite measures up. Leads to a general lack of sexual satisfaction. You can only make yourself come a bit grim, really. And that links onto PIED, porn-induced erectile dysfunction. They actually feel like it's making it harder for them to get an erection. The idea of NoFap is offering a uh, very simplistic, externally focused answer for why uh, some of these guys um, experience uh, sexual difficulties at times. It is a nice and easy and kind of acceptable answer for a guy to say, oh, well, the reason I am, for instance, having difficulty getting an erection or the reason that I am having difficulty getting a, getting a date is because of pornography. It's not because of me. It's not anything about me. To find out how legit this porn-induced erectile dysfunction idea is, I talked to a couple of people. First was Dr. David Lay, a clinical psychologist and sex therapist who believes that porn and sex addiction is a myth. A lot of these guys who are struggling with high levels of anxiety, high levels of social difficulty, who don't have much experience with women and don't have much uh, confidence in terms of their ability um, or skills as, as, as a boyfriend um, or as a lover. Um, it's, it's much, much easier to blame pornography than to examine all of these much more complicated, nuanced, internal kind of issues where a, uh, these men would have to take responsibility and acknowledge that, no, 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 it's not, it's not pornography, it's, it's, it's you, brother. One of the things that I think it's really important to point out is that um, the, the NoFap community is putting an awful lot of pressure and focus on the penis. They identify a man's erection as a measure of his masculinity. They focus on these young men's ability to get dates and to get a girl into bed as a hallmark a measure of the man's value, um, self-worth, um, and future. You probably didn't encounter this in your history books at school. I know I didn't. But it seems like the further back you go, the more accepting people were of masturbation. There are temple paintings, cave carvings, and ornaments depicting men and women masturbating from the ancient Sumerians, Egyptians, and Greeks. They thought it was a healthy way to get rid of sexual frustration, and the Egyptians believed autumn created the universe by ejaculating it. When you move into the last few hundred years, the negative associations are everywhere. Various doctors claimed it was both a symptom of and cause of insanity, including Freud. Samuel August Tiso argued that it led to a perceptible reduction of strength, of memory, and even of reason, blurred vision, all the nervous disorders, all types of gout and rheumatism, weakening of the organs of generation, blood in the urine, disturbance of the appetite, headaches, and a great number of other disorders. NoFap is meant to be sex positive, which, if you're not on Twitter or Tumblr, basically means being kind and accepting about our sexual urges. The founder no doubt intended it to be that way, because it's mentioned on the website. But many of the members are a lot more aligned with Tiso's thinking than our modern view, minus the blood in the urine thing. 
Many quit porn and masturbation because they think it will give them better concentration levels, more motivation, they'll be more attractive to women, better at talking to them, and generally become a stronger, more well-developed man. Some go further and claim it makes their voice deeper and their penis bigger. Some call these superpowers. In a way, it doesn't really matter if someone thinks this is true, it's their dick after all, but it seems quite a dangerous promise to make to a largely quite young, anxious male audience. I mean, a lot of the stuff on NoFap can be kind of extreme, like taking cold showers. A lot of the people on NoFap are really hard on themselves, take things too seriously. The pseudoscience, there's nothing new about it. Snake oil salesmen have used pseudoscience um, for millennia. They are snake oil salesmen that are selling a certain moral agenda, which is that guys should not masturbate to pornography and should instead be focused on having um, you know intercourse with women. And this goes back to the beliefs that you know masturbation will make you go blind, the beliefs that masturbation is, is something that you shouldn't do before a sporting event um, because it depletes you of testosterone or masculinity. There's nothing new about what they're saying. They have just rebadged it now behind the modern science of brain science. For some, nofap's a lot like dieting or going to the gym or any other form of self-improvement and self-sacrifice. Depriving yourself of something you want because it makes you feel bad and lazy and shit. I started researching this around New Year and the number of I will posts increased massively. People have really high hopes for their own self-improvement. Detoxing and cleansing is a bit of a controversial topic when it comes to diet. Anyone with any medical training is usually quick to point out that the liver is doing that job pretty well already, thank you very much. I think it's more about how you feel than the physical effects, and the physical effects ultimately affect how you feel. But for addictive behaviour, sometimes the only treatment that works is stopping completely. Most alcoholics can't just have a Baileys at Christmas and be fine. It doesn't work like that. There are clearly thousands of people who feel porn has control over them and they're not where they want to be or feeling how they want to feel because of it. Is it too much to compare porn addiction to alcoholism and drug addiction? Maybe not. I tried to do the 90 days and realized I could barely go a couple days or like a week. And then I was like, wow, I think I might be like really addicted to this or wow, this is so much more difficult than I had previously imagined. And so now it's been probably about two years now I've, again, had this relationship with NoFap where it's sort of become bigger than myself. It's become this obsession. And of course, it's started my YouTube channel where I do these NoFap uh, vlogs or these uh, NoFap diaries I'm sure you found. Hey, how's it going guys? I am Kira Malin. I'm here with another video on NoFap Day 40. Now, how do I feel being on Day 40? Um, I officially my longest streak ever, which will continue to be my longest streak ever on that reboot, that 90 day reboot, rewire, changing my brain chemistry, changing my life really. And that is an understatement because I cannot even put it into words how NoFap particularly in this streak, has changed my life. And I underestimated just how much it would because as the days go by, as you continue your journey... as You, you are listening to Keir Malin from Canada. 
He has a YouTube channel where he shares his NoFap journey and progress. Like he said before, he's had a two-year on-and-off history with NoFap, and he's got a particularly unique view of it, because he's experienced substance abuse problems too. Nothing crazy, like, uh, to the extent of, like, heroin or crystal meth, but I was definitely uh, on that road. You know, that left me in kind of this position where I was trying to better my life. And for whatever reason, I didn't focus too much on necessarily quitting drugs. It was really, I had this focus on quitting pornography and I had this tunnel vision. I guess to me, maybe felt easier. It became this whole no fab of quitting pornography is sort of the domino effect and kind of what started, you know, other changes in my lifestyle after that. Um, and that was a big, I think, motivating factor, just the fear of, uh, you know, just not hitting, I guess, what you would call rock bottom. That was one lifestyle choice that kind of grew bigger. Did you feel quite close to rock bottom? Could you see rock bottom? Um, yeah, there was definitely one moment uh, I remember where I had gone a bunch of, uh, you know, cocaine and I had, uh, I'd been working night shifts and I was like a security guard. So I was working all these night shifts, um, not in the best part of town. It was the perfect work schedule to be uh, binging on cocaine during the week. And so there was a moment, I think it was on day five, where I realized, you know, almost like looking at myself in a third person perspective of me just sitting there doing blow alone. This isn't necessarily rock bottom. You know, I'm not homeless. I'm not dying of a terminal illness, but if I keep this going, uh, I'm on my way there. And I was like a wake-up call. Uh, and I was like, okay, I'm stopping everything. And that includes uh, my uh, deep habit with uh, pornography. I don't think necessarily everyone needs to go on nofap. I just think if they're going to consume that kind of content on porn, they should just be aware that it's taking more than it gives them. And just the same as we have a choice with alcohol, that one can drink uh, and be fine, or one can become an alcoholic. There's this understanding that, hey, this is probably not healthy, but there's a trade-off here. And if we can take that same mentality and awareness with alcohol and just share the awareness about the next effects of porn, where people can make that decision as you know adults, I think that's where society should be at. But we're not there yet because, again, technology and, you know, the conception of porn is moving so fast that it was in just in a few years, it's nothing like it was, you know, the generation before me. We have a generation of young people across the planet now who have access to a world of sexuality through the Internet that they were not prepared for. We've not been doing a good job of sex education. If we did a better job preparing young people for what healthy sex is, how to be a good, responsible sexual person, we, we didn't present this abstinence-only idea and these, these, these models of just say no to sex until you're married, and then we give them iPhones where they can access all the pornography they want. We wouldn't be seeing this catastrophic effect. Pornography was intended as entertainment. It was never intended as education. It's fantasy. We don't let people learn to drive by watching Fast and the Furious movies, but we are letting these all these young people learn about sex from pornography. And in pornography, you know, all dicks are hard all the time. In pornography, guys don't struggle to get erection. So then as these young, anxious, inexperienced young men struggle to get an erection and they've learned that in pornography all penises are hard, they think something must be wrong with them. 
when I was in high school, we had a, you know, whatever the sex unit or whatever it was, and it was a week and they showed like five pictures of horrific pictures of STDs and said, decide you put on a condom and that was it. Not even things like consent, at least nothing memorable. That's why the NoFap community, this kind of openness of just, just simply going on a computer that easily in your own privacy, you know, with a YouTube account or whatever, with a different alias, it allows people to have both the anonymity to connect with people and, you know, attain knowledge and, and be open. People are self-diagnosing themselves, but it's also, you know, what else can people do? This is an almost entirely male movement. In general, the subreddit's relationship with women is all over the place. At the time of recording, the top post on the subreddit is a guy saying how sorry he is that a girl he knows has been the victim of revenge porn. Once he'd have probably watched it, he says, but after finding NoFap, he feels like he sees it for the violation it really is. Many look back at porn they've watched and feel ashamed. They hate the medium, not the people involved. Other posters think that women are too powerful because they're the gatekeepers of sex. We dismiss them too easily. We should pay attention to the good guys. Please, if anybody knows, do let me know how to truly tell a good guy from a bad one. Tinder hasn't built that feature yet. Why they've made hiding your age a priority over that, I do not know. Regardless of what the nofappers think of women, many nofappers are very preoccupied by them. They care greatly what we think of them. Some choose to do nofap specifically to improve their chances of dating someone they really fancy. Despite it probably never entering day-to-day -day conversation, some men on the subreddit report that women treat them completely differently once they've quit porn and masturbation. Women notice them more, they respond to them well, they stare at them even, there's greater attraction, they start saying yes when they're asked out. These are some of the superpowers I mentioned before. They're not suggesting that girls are walking around going, he's clearly not wank for ages, what a catch. It's a lot more indefinable than that. Some of the nofappers who've noticed it don't really ask questions. They don't know why it's happening, they're just glad it's happening. I would think I was like in the grocery store and I was just pushing a cart down. All these women were just like looking up at me and then glancing away. And I just really felt the attraction then. And that was the same day I uh, had sex for the first time with this other girl that she actually came on to me. The most popular explanation seems to be that it's a snowball effect. That's a direct quote from someone's post. You stop watching porn, you stop masturbating, you quit other things too because you're on a self-improvement mission, addictive online games are a common one, you might start going to the gym instead, you might start sleeping better, you might decide you need to fill the days with more social stuff, the more you do that, the better at it you are, the more attractive maybe you appear, the more noticeable, confident. But is porn the cause or the catalyst? In almost direct competition with this, well, conflict maybe is the better word. Dr. David Lay tends to ignore the pornography when he's treating his patients. They are over-attending to the problem, and as a result, they're making the problem much more salient and much more powerful. For instance, when I was a when I was a young psychologist and I was working with sex offenders, um, we were taught to uh, teach patients to imagine a stop sign in their head and to scream "stop" at the top of their lungs out loud or in their head when they had a deviant fantasy. We had to stop doing that because research actually found that that technique made the fantasies worse. It made the fantasies come back more often. 
because your brain doesn't really know that you don't like this fantasy. All your brain knows is that you're giving it lots and lots of energy. So it thinks it's more important, so it gives you more of them. The same is true here. As these guys are focusing so much on their penis and on whether they can get an erection and focusing so much on pornography, they are making that issue much more important and much more significant than it actually is. What I would even instead focus on um, is the, the simple existential benefit of deciding as a person that you want to change your life and make it better in a certain way. Whether that is a New Year's resolution to exercise more or deciding that you're going to stop watching as much porn. That kind of taking charge of your life is very healthy and positive. I think it's a wonderful thing and I really encourage these guys to do that and to engage in those kinds of self-directed activities. But the benefit of it comes from that decision to take charge of your life, not from the pornography. We can't really talk about NoFap without acknowledging the importance placed on masculinity and the very internet phenomenon of alpha and beta males. According to To Be More Alpha, that's not it, according to ToBeAlpha.com, alpha males are confident, masculine, take-what-they-want types, direct, uncomfortable taking risks. The James Bond basically, but James Bond if, like, he worked in your office. Beta males are the nice guys in situations, put people before themselves too much, often doubt their abilities and defer to other people to take control, so more like Mark Ruffalo's character in 13 Going On 30, who I actually would much rather bang than James Bond, if I'm honest. Alpha males are also more likely to be leaders and make more money, while beta males do most of the work. Alpha males hide their emotions much to their detriment and cover it up with machismo. Beta males will resist things in different, less direct ways. This is all according to to be more to be alpha. Why am I struggling with that URL so much? And to their credit, they don't claim alpha males are automatically better or happier people, but when someone lines all the traits up like that, it's quite obvious which most people would rather be. Search alpha in the NoFap subreddit and you get a lot of results. NoFap awakens your inner alpha. More upvoted, however, is a post called Stop with the Alpha Beta Bullshit. So there are clearly those who are very much into it, and those who really aren't. Can sitting on your hands and never looking at porn again make you more manly? Some certainly seem to think so. Everyone finds masculinity problematic, and it really depends on the political worldview that you have. People generally fall into one of two groups when it comes to uh, thinking about masculinity. Either they come from a, a conservative point of view, which is largely, although not exclusively, aligned with men's rights advocates, or they come from a more progressive point of view, which is largely, although not exclusively, aligned with feminism. So if you're a feminist, obviously, you're going to have various um, traditional understandings that men oppress women, what is now routinely described on social media is toxic masculinity. If you're a conservative, you're probably seeing the problem of masculinity as the fact that we live in some kind of gender-neutered society where men can't fulfil their natural roles as um, providers and, and husbands and so forth. That that's not happened by accident, but in fact it's happened precisely because feminists are going around pursuing their progressive agenda. So almost everyone who thinks about masculinity assumes there's a problem. It's just they interpret that uh, problem in a different way depending on their political worldview. 
I spoke to Dr. Joseph Gelfer, a researcher and all-round expert in masculinity, how it's defined and how it manifests itself. The sound goes a little bit dodgy in places and I really don't know why. Uh, I tried to get rid of it and I couldn't get rid of it. Um, it's kind of a fuzzy background noise. Um, anyway, he's really interesting, so I'm afraid you will have to deal with it. Joseph created the five stages of masculinity, quote, a peer-reviewed model that sheds light on the different understandings people have about masculinity. Each stage offers its own challenges and opportunities, end quote. Basically, each stage is a different way of perceiving masculinity, sometimes critical, sometimes completely oblivious. So, I mean, if you were at stage one, which I describe as unconscious masculinity, you're not really thinking about masculinity that much, but you're, you're subject to assumptions about what is natural in society. Um, in stage two, which I describe as conscious masculinity, then you're responding to traditional expectations of masculinity on a conscious way. So you're looking around and saying that men should be this way in order to be um, a man or should behave in this kind of way. Men are expected to be strong. They're expected to be usually very sexual, provide for families. They're expected to be assertive and powerful and all of these kinds of things. But that's only really one set of pressures that men have on them. Any man who takes feminism seriously is going to be looking at the fact that, well, actually, men should be caring and um, nurturing and sensitive and so forth. So then you actually see a strange commonality between stage two and stage three. Men are being told what they should be like. At stage two, they're being told that they should be tough. And at stage three, despite the fact that it's allegedly progressive, they're being told that they should be sensitive. It's still a pressure telling people what men should be, and it's still masculinity being defined by other people rather than yourself. Progressive views on this subject are largely deconstructive, and they're focused on telling people what's wrong with everything. And then they make this strategic error of thinking that if you identify what's wrong with something, that that's the same thing as um, saying what's right. If you deconstruct, you just, you know, you, you break a house down, you leave an empty space. You know, a new house does not automatically build itself. So you've actually got to come in with a completely different set of tools and start trying to build something new and sustainable. Men are continually told um, about their privilege. And they have privilege in a systemic sense because patriarchy exists at a systemic level. But they don't necessarily have any privilege in an individual sense. You know, if they're working class, uh, disabled, or any other number of reasons, while they may well enjoy the benefits of patriarchy, quote-unquote, they're not really seeing any of those benefits in their personal lives. Understanding those different tensions um, is not really done very often. This perspective on toxic masculinity is very, very new to me. I definitely see a more feminist sphere of Twitter and surround myself with that kind of thinking. Uh, and so I see a lot of critical posts and it's become really normal for me to see something and think, ugh, toxic masculinity. It is mad that we live in a world where something as simple as like shower gel has to be marketed to men and women completely differently. It's the same product with the same purpose, but mine is pink and smells like cake. I just can't imagine a men's body wash being marketed like that. 
So what Joseph said has made me massively check myself. Most men walking around probably don't think about the fact that the patriarchy massively benefits them. That's like white British people walking around constantly thinking, I'm so lucky to live here, I could be in a shantytown. And I do think about that sometimes, and I'm sure lots of others do. But it's not a soundtrack in your head, it's a fleeting thought, and we're quite good at pushing it out again. That's the lottery of birth right there. It's the same with the gender you're born into. Suddenly the expectations on you are completely different because of what's between your legs. And I still think the world can be a sexist hellscape, but I think it's good for me, and I'd argue all feminists, to try and understand it's not just expectations of femininity that are always scrutinised and debated, it's expectations of masculinity too, and they're both just as complicated as each other. Stage three, paradoxically, is increasingly turning into the point where it is creating the problem that it's trying to eradicate. It's got a habit of creating more entrenched stage two mentalities because people, they backlash against it and they become radicalized by this incessant hammering on the head of stage three going, you're wrong, you're wrong, toxic masculinity, fragile masculinity. So I think stage three, paradoxically, is, is producing more of that which they wish to eradicate. Because typically it's the word men being used, um, more often than not white men being used. And it, it, it's very difficult not to take that personally. And the fact that people at stage three don't understand that people at stage two will take it as an individual critique even if it is intended as a system critique, paradoxically demonstrates the exact lack of empathy that men are typically charged with having. If you want to find out which of the five stages of masculinity you're at, you can do a quick test on Joseph's website, masculinityresearch.com. I tried it and it told me I'm at stage four, multiple masculinities. So basically, masculinity can mean anything to anyone, including being embodied by women, Masculinity is defined and categorised through power dynamics such as patriarchy and hegemony as a way of regulating people. By rejecting categorisation, we subvert regulation and power. Considering I did an arts degree and have a pretty liberal perspective on things, that's both reassuring and completely unsurprising. Back to NoFap. I said before that I spoke to a couple of people about porn-induced erectile dysfunction. Well, it's not quite true. Uh, I emailed back and forth with some people who could potentially offer an alternative view to David, uh, and who've participated in some quite important studies in it, but I struggled to get anyone to commit to an interview. Uh, I don't think there's any dark or suspicious reason behind that, I just think they were busy or thought I was strange. I've tried to read up on it myself and I mainly just see a lot of percentages and numbers and factors and conditions. These are very, very academic studies. It's really not an easy read and then obviously you get articles that summarise it but they summarise it very simplistically and you kind of miss out a lot of the detail. I'm neither convinced nor unconvinced, I'm mainly baffled. There are a lot of studies which link struggles with arousal and performance to porn, but there are also quite a lot that don't. The Kinsey Institute, 
was apparently the first to link porn use to erectile dysfunction in 2007. They recruited people who regularly went to sex-related parties and bathhouses where porn was on constantly, and found half struggled to get an erection in the lab. Side note, maybe the people in white coats were a bit of a mood killer, not sure. To simplify it all, since porn became free and really easy to access from anywhere, reports of erectile dysfunction have apparently gone up. However, according to a piece in Vice written by Chris Taylor, a researcher from the University of Auckland who specialises in porn addiction, the link is murky. Those who are advocates of PIED, or as I like to call it, PIED, because it's PIE related, are really quick to list the many studies, but I'm a lot more interested in the first person accounts and they seem to be quite a mixed bag, judging from Reddit, the forums and the articles. I think partially, you know, there is also a placebo effect that happens as long as, it, you know, you reach the same place of a happier life. That's all that matters. But I would say for me personally, it would be just higher self-esteem and more confidence from, you know, showing yourself that discipline of setting a goal and doing it like reaching 90 days. It could be very motivating to have kind of that intrinsic, you know, kind of black and white, like this is the number, this is what I have to reach. Getting close to that is, is good for one's confidence. And also when I'm not just getting this hit of dopamine, this rush, things taste better, music sounds better. I find myself well, more present in the moment in conversations. I was going, like I said, really hard on myself back then. I don't know, no thought makes you go really hard on yourself. It kind of changes the way you think about sex and masturbation. Do you think no fat's been good for you in some ways? Or could, do you think it's caused a bit of shame because of the culture of the subreddit? Definitely it's caused shame. I think getting rid of porn was good. There are so many posts of people claiming that there's benefits from abstaining from masturbation. And I think a lot of people, especially young men, they cling to those benefits that they hear about. And I think they're afraid that if they relapse and masturbate and they won't reach those benefits and so it's almost like a trap in a way the reason why this is so popular with those young men and not with gay men and not with as many women is because women and gay men don't put as much focus on the penis and don't put as much emphasis on you know the ability to get laid as a measure of how valuable you are as a person the reality is 40% of young men struggle with erections and sometimes it is important to look at why you're struggling to get an erection because it teaches you something about yourself. Dr. Joseph Gelfer highlighted that there are at least two forces pushing and pulling some men nearly all the time, depending on their political leanings and where they are in the world. There's the need to be more progressive and the expectation that they should be a strong provider with very few weaknesses. Not masturbating, incredibly, is a way of taking control of some of those perceived weaknesses. It's a bit strange, and those superpowers definitely wouldn't convince everyone, but like Dry January or Veganuary, there are people willing to give it a go, just in case it makes them feel better. Is NoFap a cult? No. I think they're quite a supportive community on the whole, they're encouraging and many seem very sincere. That's within their own community though, David mentioned he received a lot of nasty messages and the odd death threat, so there are some who really don't take criticism well, to put it lightly. For those who feel quitting pornography and masturbation has helped them, amazing. 
There are also people like the anonymous Redditor I interviewed who have tried and clearly not been able to tackle the real problem. David treats his patients with that in mind, but not everyone has the money or inclination to go and see a therapist. Like Keir said, people are diagnosing themselves with porn addiction because of a lack of resources, so it's only natural that they take treatment into their own hands. Absolutely no pun intended there, but I quite like the way it worked out. Pornography is really easy to access and consume. We've just not adjusted to that psychologically, emotionally or practically. It's only natural that some of us would have reservations, problems and questions. A NoFap is a group of people trying to deal with those problems and ask those questions in their own quite quirky way. Thank you so much to everyone who's listened to That's a Cult so far and left reviews and messaged me on Twitter. People have been very, very kind and are excited to hear more and I'm excited to make more, so that's good. Unfortunately, I've already had one guy on Twitter try and mansplain MLM to me. Cheers to him, broadening my horizons. One strange request, I've noticed that a lot of That's Occult listeners are coming from a really tiny village in County Antrim, Northern Ireland. It's called Ballantoy Harbour, and Game of Thrones filmed there once very briefly, which has obviously convinced me that Kit Harrington listens to and enjoys my podcast and also my voice. Um, that's bullshit, Helen. The number of listeners I've got from that village is about the same as the entire population. I'm baffled by that, really. If it's a glitch or an inaccuracy, then ignore me. If it isn't, and you're a listener and you live in Ballantoy Harbour, could you just send me a DM on Twitter or tweet me or email and let me know? Because if the whole village is into this, I really want to know. That's a Cult is written and produced by me, Helen McCarthy. You can follow me on Twitter at Helen L. McCarthy, and you can follow this podcast at That's a Cult. You can find all the sources I've used for each episode at thatsocult.com, so you can do your own reading and research. Thanks to my interviewees, Dr. David Lay, Keir Malin, Dr. Joseph Gelfer, and the anonymous Redditor. You can find their websites and Twitter handles in the description, apart from the anonymous Redditor, of course. That's not how anonymity works. Just like the previous two episodes, the music in this episode was produced by a really generous guy on Reddit called Antiluodi. He's made over a thousand pieces of his music free for people to use, royalty-free, as long as you credit him. And you can find more about him in the description. If you use his music for your own projects, make sure you credit him, and ideally, if you can, give to his PayPal. If you want me to investigate a specific community or potential cult, email your suggestions to thatsocult at gmail.com. I've been getting the email address wrong in past episodes. I was going to set up a specific mailbox through my website, but it was going to cost about 15 quid a year, and that just doesn't make sense to me. So it's a Gmail, you can find it in the description. Your suggestions don't have to be entirely internet-based, just niche and compelling and enjoyably weird. Thanks for listening. <laughs>